just to think about the fact that we exist in this place and in this space because of God's overwhelming, awe-inspiring, amazing compassion and grace of Jesus Christ. The fact that you and I live in this place can assemble in this sanctuary to lift up the name of Christ is a piece, a portion of the grace that he's extended to us. Grace, like freedom, should never be taken for granted. We are so privileged, so privileged to be able to have the freedom to come and worship God. Growing up in the church, worship wasn't always fun. And one of the goals that I wanted from the very beginning of ministry is to make worship fun. And you say, well, that's not primarily what our role is, is to lift up the name of Christ. But let me tell you something. Do you really want to be doing something for eternity that's not fun? Worship should be fun. I believe that God loves to see the smiles of people, the joy of people, the hearts of people lifting him up. Because listen, that's what you and I will do for eternity is lift up the amazing name of God. Now, we look in this passage of scripture today. Uh, it's a good Baptist passage uh, as we speak about uh, we're saved. What does salvation come from? What does it look like? Um, and the simple sermon today uh, is that it's about grace. But as we, as we look in Ephesians, the second chapter, the Apostle Paul writing these words to the church at Ephesus, what he begins with in chapter 2 is something that we can all relate to, namely that all of us have a history. Now, some of us have a history that we like to talk about. <laughs> Others of us have a history that we like to gloss over. Um, usually the history that we put on Facebook is a positive one. Uh, we don't tend, you know, no one ever has a bad time on Facebook. Or if they do have a, a bad time on Facebook, they're always ranting on Facebook. You have people that always rant about their issues on Facebook. And then you have some people that just look like, gosh, they never have a, a problem in the world. They're always you know, posting things, smiling and everything else. And so if we're not careful, we will bind to the lie that uh, our history or the things that happen in our life are always good things. If we're really honest and authentic, which is what we're called to be, uh, as we seek to be a holy people set apart for the purposes of God, to fulfill God's will uh, and, and His call to us, then we have to understand that our history is diverse, that there are good seasons, that there are bad seasons, there are things that we naturally would like to talk about, and there are things that, frankly, we wish we could rewrite. We wish that we could rewrite the history of our lives. There are certain segments that we just would like to erase. And here's the amazing thing about it. We don't have the ability to erase what we've done. We always have the memory of where we've been and what we've done. And part of that is, is the reality of sin. When you and I sin and we do bad things, 
even though we may be forgiven of those things as we repent, as we turn from those things, and as we look towards Christ, part of that sin, that mark of sin, leaves it in our memory. And the enemy is very good about allowing our past or allowing the bad parts, the snippets of our lives in our history. He's very good about shining a light on those areas of our lives, hoping that we will define our lives by them and hoping that because our lives might be defined by those episodes in our story, that then he can have power and dominion and control not only in our present, but for our future. But the reality is, he only has as much power and authority that we give to him. I like to say, devil be gone, you have no power here. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, really, that's kind of what I do when I'm faced with the devil, leave. You have no power in this place. The amazing thing that what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 2 is that God, through his great love for us, his compassion, even though we were dead in transgressions, he has made us alive in Christ, and we, uh, we have this being made alive in Christ solely based on the grace that he gives to us, which is a free gift. And the amazing thing about God is, though we can't forget, he can and I want to remind you in the capacity of God that many of us continue to struggle and focus on the past when God has not only forgiven it, he's forgotten about it. He has the ability to forget the things, the shortcomings, because when you and I go to the Holy God, we seek His face, we latch on to His grace, which is a free gift, not built on what we say, what we do, but solely based on His provision that He's provided us in the life of Christ as we trust and have faith in Him. He gives us the ability to be made alive. So if you're here this morning and you don't, you feel kind of mediocre and your mediocrity is a result of you focusing on your past or focusing on the shadows that were and you've asked God to forgive you, you've repented of those things, you've turned from those things and you're pursuing him, do not allow the enemy to take your joy or to have your joy. Understand God has forgiven you, that settles it. It's done, it's gone, it's forgotten. That is the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We all have a history. The Bible tells us we were dead in sin in verse 1 of chapter 2. We used to follow the ways of the world... We used to be selfish, basically. We were focusing on gratifying our desires, what we wanted, rather than seeking what was the greater good or what was of God. The important thing for us today as we assemble here is that we can identify with the fact that we have a history and that that history is in the past. In other words, there needs to be a difference in what was... And what is? Now one of the problems in this life is oftentimes because of different circumstances, bad habits, willpower, lack of trust in the divine work of God and the work of Christ, sometimes our past creeps 
up on us. Sometimes we go back to those things that were our comfort while we were in sin rather than allowing Christ to continue to move in circumstances. And, and listen, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because every single person in this room would raise their hand if they were being authentic and honest and say, you know, I, I can identify with that. There are things that I've done in the past that I've asked the Lord to forgive me of and then lo and behold, I end up doing them again. And so we have this idea that there's this old life and this new life. And the Apostle Paul writes about this. Uh, there was an old life which had evil desires and that is crucified to Christ. We have this new life that has been inaugurated by the work of the Holy Spirit. As we have trusted in Christ, we've repented of our sins and we have asked the Holy Spirit to come in. We believe in Christ, we confess Him with our lives, we turn our hearts over to Him and we begin pursuing Him. And this is the life that He wants us to have, this life that is not... Listen, this life that is not marked by the stain of sin, but this life that is marked by the divine action of God in the person of Jesus Christ that alters our history and our story. That's the Christ I want to talk to you about today. We all have a history. What I would say about our history is let history be history. Quit focusing on the past. You say, well, this sounds very similar to what you've said before. Yes, I've preached on this 17 times since I've been here. Um, and the reality is that uh, I'm a person that has to, I have to be told, you know, 17 times before I would do something as I was a child. And so I want it to get ingrained in our psyche and our identity in Christ. We have to understand this, this, this essential truth that we often are defined by our past, but we need to allow Christ to define who we are and where we're going. Let go of it. Let it be done. If you're a person who has trusted in Christ and you've prayed to receive Christ and you've asked for forgiveness of your sins, you've repented of those sins, don't allow the enemy to destroy your present or your future by giving in to what was. Everybody has a history. Secondly, I want to say in verse 5 of the passage, after he goes this through the facts that we have a history, we were dead in our sins, we used to live in ways of the world, uh, and we used to follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at the time. We used to be selfish, gratifying our cravings and selfish desires and sinful nature. We were, because of those things, we deserved wrath. Now, Wrath, that's such a nice word. Um, what does wrath mean? Well, you know, I'm not going to take uh, 40 minutes to describe all the things that you could read about that Jonathan Edwards wrote about in the wrath of God. But what I will suggest to you is that the wrath, let's just say, it's not good. <laughs> the wrath is not good. We are deserving of the wrath of God. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that if you've got two sides, one that's God's side and one that's the enemy of God, one which receives the grace of God and one that receives the wrath of God, I think I want to be on God's team. I think you want to be on God's team. I think we want to be recipients of grace and not wrath. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, I'm glad we're all on the same page. We are supposed to be, listen, not defined by the past, 
not defined by our degrees, not defined by our work, not defined by how good we are, not defined by our philanthropy, not defined by our voice, not defined by the way we dress, not defined by the way we live, not defined by the people that we are accustomed to spending time with. You and I are to be defined by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 of the passage. Because of his great love for us in verse 4, who's rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. Now I think that is very interesting. There's some deep theological issues going on here, and this is what I want to tell you. See, normally we say, you are not a follower of Christ and you're going to hell. <laughs> Yeah, you're not a follower of Christ, you're going to hell. A follower of Christ goes to. And so before we become a Christian, we are dead in our sin or transgressions. And then because we accept Christ, remember, what, what, do, we, what do we preach oftentimes? Because we, we are doing the work, we accept Christ and His grace, then suddenly we've been made alive in Christ. That's kind of the way it's worked. I want you to look at Ephesians, though, and what it says. It will rock your world. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to it. Take it for what it says. All of us lived among them, I'm beginning in verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve God's wrath and punishment. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Notice it doesn't end there. That sentence doesn't end made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. There's a difference. God loves us so much. Not because we have said goodbye to the past... ...and accepted free grace, his gift and his, uh, his extension of love. But God, who is great in mercy and who is compassionate... ...has made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in sin. Which means this. That God is, listen... Some years ago, probably about 25 years ago, a prominent Baptist spokesman said, God does not hear the prayer of a Jew. Said that. I thought it was ridiculous then. I think it's ridiculous now. And the implication was that God does not hear the prayers of what he considered to be a lost person. Well, let me share this with you. If God does not hear the prayers of a lost person, then how did he hear our prayer to accept him into our lives? God hears the prayers of all people. God is listening. God is aware. God who is rich in mercy, who has amazing grace that he extends to us and gives us opportunity, reaches in the midst. Listen, he doesn't expect us to have a spiritual bath and then we're made alive in Christ. We are made alive in Christ when we are still neck to neck in sin. 
That's what grace is. Grace is the ability to reach into the depths of the human heart, the depths of human depravity, the depths of sinfulness, and bring us to new heights with Jesus. Grace is the ability to erase a free gift. It is the ability to come into our lives even though we are marred up in sin despite the fact that we are deserving, despite the fact that we're not clean, we're not deserving of his free gift. And he even offers it and gives it to us and makes us alive in Christ, not when we look good. He makes us alive in Christ when sometimes we are at our absolute worst. That's what grace is. I want you to think about what that tells us about God. It tells us that God is used to dealing with people's junk. Uh, God is used to dealing with people's garbage. God is used to dealing with people's trash. God is used to dealing with people's sin. How do I know that? I know it because look what he did on the cross. Because on the cross when he pushed Jesus into the forefront, when Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one... He put on him the sin, the iniquity, the wrath that we all should receive. He bore our burdens so that by his stripes we would be healed. Not healed because we showed up. Not healed because we're worthy of it. Not healed because we're great people. Not healed because we smell good or look good. Healed because he has great love for the people that he's created. And there's nobody that he's not created. He loves all people. And I believe in my heart of hearts that he loves all people, even those who will spend eternity separated from him. God's grace is real. Our history needs to be history. We have to be defined by Christ. Even though we were dead in sin, even though we were deserving of God's wrath, God who loves and who has mercy has changed us. He has saved us by His amazing grace. And listen, salvation is not automatic. Okay? It's not just something that He rolls out and applies. Just because your family was in church, just because your grandfather was a preacher, just because your grandfather was a great saint of God, it doesn't mean that you are. Just because your family grew up in church, just because you were drugged to church uh, as a child, it doesn't mean that you are a believer. It does not mean that you have been saved. But God who is rich in mercy reaches down in the midst of where we are. And listen, when God reaches in to the midst of our chaos... And gives us his free gift with no strings attached. And redeems us, chooses us, picks us, lives, uh, lifts us up out of the miry muck that we're living in. In the gutter that we have, we have inherited or the gutter that we've created for our lives. Let me tell you something. When God does that, it is a change in the story. Your life and my life take a radical new form. Therefore, listen... There's not this business of whether I don't know whether I'm saved or not. If you've had an encounter with the Almighty God and He's reached into the depths of where you are and He has changed your life through His free gift of grace, listen, 
you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. But I believe there are so many in the body of Christ, so many church members today, so many good little Baptists and good little Episcopals and good little Catholics and good little Presbyterians and good little Assembly of God and good little Disciples of Christ and good little Church of Christ and all these people who talk and talk and talk about Jesus. We celebrate His birth at Christmas. We celebrate His resurrection at Easter. We believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. We believe that He was born of a Virgin Mary. We believe that He died on the cross for our sins. And we know all these things, but Listen, listen, we can know all these things and not know Him. How do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know Him? You know Him because you have received His amazing grace. It is inexpressible. It is incomparable to anything else that you and I could ever receive. When God has touched your life, you're going to know it. And so I'll say on record today that if you're sitting in this room and you've been in church all your life and you jumped through the hoops and you got wet in the baptismal pool or you prayed some prayer eons ago that you can't even remember what you prayed but you repeated because you thought by repeating the words that you would be saved. Listen, it's not about what you do. It's not about your act of walking down an aisle. It's not about being baptized in water in front of a witness of people. It is about having Christ absolutely radically change, transform your life, reaching down in the midst of where you were and putting you into a new place. The old has passed away. The new has come. I'm going to be identified not where I was. I'm going to be identified by where I am. I'm standing on this place. In this place, I stand for Jesus Christ. My life is defined by Him. If you can't say that, then you're lost. Salvation is a free gift. No strings attached. Yesterday, I put up my Christmas tree. I did. Put up my Christmas tree. My philosophy, for those of you who don't know me, is if I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to pull out all this junk that takes me days to pull out, we're going to celebrate it a fourth of the year. So the Christmas tree is up. It has some things on it. I haven't quite started putting the ornaments on, but the kids were excited. wanting to know when Santa Claus was going to come. Um, I will wrap packages. I will put them under the tree. My family will open those presents after we come to worship on Christmas Sunday, which will be here at First Baptist Church. And here's the thing. Nobody that gets a gift from me did anything to get it. It's under that tree. It'll be wrapped. It will have their name on it. I won't have to beg my kids whether or not they should open their gift that's got their name on it. They will rip it open in like four nanoseconds. That's why I use mailing tape. That way it makes it more interesting. It's a struggle at my house to open Christmas packages. Grace is not like that, though. Grace is not sealed with some kind of bonded tape. But when we sit down and we open those packages... When Anderson opens his, when Abigail opens hers, when my wife opens hers, when my parents open theirs, or my brother and sister-in-law open theirs, or my, my, niece, uh, my nieces open theirs, there's nothing that they did to receive those gifts. It's just a free gift. Because I want them to know how much I love them. It's an extension of my love. It's not based on whether they bought me something or not. 
Because the joy of Christmas has never been, as a child it's different, but as you get older, the joy of Christmas has really never been for me what I get. It's seeing people open packages that I put energy and effort into and seeing the joy that brings to their faces. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. There's no record of how many gifts someone gets or how many they don't get. It's just a free gift. And they open and they receive it and it's theirs. It's their possession. I want you to think of God's grace in similar fashion. There's a gift that's not under the tree. It was on a tree. The tree called a cross. And that gift has your name written all over it. It's your gift. It's not about what you've done for him. Not about how much money you gave. Not about whether you said good things. Not, also not about the four-letter words that you've used. It is solely based on what he's done. A free gift. No strings attached. It's called grace. It is incomparable to anything else according to the scripture. Because look, in the world's economy, everything is built on, yes, there might be something free. If someone, if, listen, if someone comes to your house this week, knocks on the door and says, I've got a free gift for you, you'll slam the door in their face. <laughs> you, you're not going to put up with it. There's nothing free in this world. Well, guess what? The greatest thing in this world that comes not from this world is Jesus. It's a free gift. He's a free gift. He loves you. His grace is real. His grace is more real than your history. Are we defined by him? Because what he did on a tree, the gift that he gives on that tree, is open to everyone, everywhere, to all nations, to all nationalities, to all races, to all people, to all religions. And as you sit here today and say, okay, well, wait a minute now, what does that mean, all religions? Is he saying that if a Muslim, a Muslim can be a follower of Jesus? Uh, absolutely a Muslim can be a follower of Jesus. Because when a Muslim turns to Christ, he's no longer a Muslim, he's a Christian. I believe that the opportunity of the cross is for all humanity. Everybody. Including the people that we don't understand. Including the people that do, we, we don't have an affinity to. Including the people that frankly we don't like. Now I know what's on your minds as we come up within the next month. We've got an election day and you're concerned. We have two amazing choices. <laughs> I got a compliment the other week. Someone didn't really know where I stand on the political issues. That's good. That's good. If you really know me though, you'll know who I stand for or what I stand for. Uh, but here's the reality. November 8th is coming. We need to do our diligence, our right to vote, our act of voting, our freedom to do that. It's a privilege and an honor to vote. But make no mistake, the best president, the best leader, 
is Jesus. Period. And until Jesus runs for president, it doesn't matter who's put forward, they're going to be fallen just like you and me. And so we don't need to think to ourselves, well, I'm just going to throw in the towel. There's not even, it's, not even worth, it's not even worth voting. It's not even worth... Listen. <laughs> God knew this was going to happen long before he ever went to the cross. He knows the future. He knows everything that's going to unfold. And listen, we... Listen, our faith, our confidence, our attitude, our behavior does not need to be altered by a peddly election on this side of the kingdom. Our... Listen... Our behavior, our outlook, our lives need to be altered by the king who died for us and who gives us the greatest potential to be made new in him when we say goodbye to our history and hello to Christ. When we quit being defined by what was and we are defined by the great I am it is he who has died for us because, listen, our salvation rests on the handiwork of God. Look in chapter 2, uh, verse 8 and following. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. In other words, you didn't do it. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast about what they've done and no one can brag about what they've done. Then it says, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our salvation rests on the handiwork of God. The handiwork of God, we are His handiwork. He has created us. His grace is a free expression of Himself. We have been created in Christ to do good works, in verse 10. God's handiwork in itself, we in, in ourselves, we are an act of grace because God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to understand or unpack what this handiwork is, I'll refer you back to Isaiah chapter 29, verses 23 and 24, that we stand in awe, in amazement of God's work. And then it goes on to say in verse 24 of Isaiah chapter 23, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 29 verse 24, um, it says, Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. What is that saying to us? We are God's handiwork as a result of what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have come to know Him, who have been touched by His amazing grace, who have been set free from the chains that so often entangled us, it says that those people who are in the Spirit, they may also go wayward. People don't always... Listen, in our fellowship of Christ, some of us stop at tempting parking places along the way. And some believers actually do go wayward in their fellowship of him. And it says, but this God who demonstrates his handiwork, his handiwork and his work in Christ is enough to give those who are wayward, who have gone astray, the opportunity to understand, to follow suit, to get in line. God's amazing grace shows up in amazing ways. 
Because our salvation doesn't rest on how good we are. It doesn't rest on what we say. It rests on what he's done through Jesus Christ. Grace saves us through faith. Isaiah also tells us that we are the shoot that he has planted. And we are the work of his hands for the display of his splendor. That's in Isaiah chapter 60. Our purpose is fulfilled when God can display himself through us. So God is not looking for us to be good. God is not looking for merely for us just to do good. God is interested in us being filled up by the person of Jesus Christ, being in him committed to making him known as he works in our lives, as he calls us, as he equips us. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, we were created to do good works and God has prepared them in advance for us to do or for us to accomplish. Which tells me this, that far above our past, and far above our present, and far, far above our future. There is a God who is acting in our history, who is acting in our presence, and who is acting in our future so that we can be fulfilled in Him and so that we can accomplish the very things that He has called us to do. This letter to the church at Ephesus, this chapter 2, speaks of being made alive in Christ. And if you've been made alive in Christ, you're not going to sit dead in the pew. If you've been made alive in Christ, you're not going to be boring. There's no such thing as boring, a boring follower of Jesus or a boring Christian Enthusiasm runs in your veins because the grace of Jesus Christ has absolutely radically transformed you. So that's what I want to ask today. Is your history history? Is your life defined by Him? And most importantly... Are you sure that you're sure? Do you know that you know? That he's reached in the midst of your story. Into the miry mud of your pit. And he's offered you his free and amazing transforming grace with no strings attached. And that you have had a moment, an experience that has caught you up in the very essence of God. Now listen, some of you could have been emotional in that moment. Some of you may not. I heard a preacher a long time ago preach, and I felt very convicted about it. He said, if you don't know the day and time that you became a follower of Christ, you're lost. That's a bunch of hogwash. Uh, I, don't, I, didn't, I can't tell you the date that I came to know Christ, but I can tell you all about the experience And there's nothing, no way, no shape or form, there's no doubt in my mind, I know that I know that I know that he radically saved me 
that he radically set me free and he's radically called me to do his work which he prepared before I was ever in the image or thought of my parents. That's how much he loves you. That's how amazing his grace is. God is one of the few leaders. God is one of the few people that lead and guides and allows his people to have U-turns. He allows us to be prodigals. He allows us to come back home even when we're undeserving of it. Why? Because it's not about what needs to be poured against us. If we got what we deserved, it would be hell. But God who, is, who loves us and who is rich and mercy has given us a hope beyond hopes, a way beyond ways, and his hope and the way and the truth and the life and to have the real life comes from Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we want to offer today. An opportunity to experience Jesus Christ who is rich in mercy, who wants to alter our story, who wants us to fulfill his work which he's planned long ago. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced Christ, I'm not saying that you've never prayed a prayer. I'm not talking about that. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced Jesus Christ in a personal and real way. And listen, if you say, I don't know what he's talking about. This is an example of that, that, that you haven't experienced it. If you've never experienced Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. This is his invitation to you. He doesn't want you to have some kind of pre-planned idea of what you're going to say. He just wants you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter who you've been with, it doesn't matter to Jesus. All that matters is his act on the cross and your obedience to him. Today we give you the opportunity to come to experience Christ. If you're here this morning and you've gone wayward in following him, that is you've, you're a follower but you've, just, you've either gotten calloused or you've gotten burned or you've been hurt, whatever it might be, Christ doesn't want you to be defined by your failures or someone else's failures. Christ wants you to be defined by his victory over death, his gift, free gift of life that he can give to you. If there's those of you who have come today and you say, we'd love to be a part of what God's doing at First Baptist Church, we want to give you that opportunity. But here's the thing. We don't want you to do anything unless God's leading you to. You say, how do I know that God is leading or God is speaking to me? You'll know. When God speaks, you'll hear him. When God moves, you'll feel him. When God calls, you'll give him an answer. This is the invitation to be made alive in Christ, to be renewed in him, not according to how good we are, but according to his great love for us, a God who is rich in mercy, who gives us and makes us alive in Christ, even though that we are sinners. Let his mark be upon us. Let our lives be defined by his amazing grace and his story. And just like a Christmas tree, where there are tons and tons of gifts that we will open and that we will give, there's a gift with your name on it. It's at the cross. You didn't do anything to deserve it. He loves you despite who you are, despite where you've been, despite what you've said. It's there for the taking. He won't force you to take it, but your, his, your name's on it. He's positioned you in this place, in this time, and in this space for this moment.
and he invites you to come. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for just your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and your writing through him, your spirit which anoints and calls. We thank you for reaching down in the midst of where we are and saving us, and Lord, saving us sometimes from ourselves. God, we thank you for grace. We thank you for love. And let God, may we experience it real and personal. God, we are your handiwork created by you to do good works which you have planned long in advance. May we be fulfilled through you and in you. And Father, if there's someone here who needs to trust in Christ, needs to experience you, has recognized where they are, and Father, you've reached down in the midst of where they are, and you're challenging them to become more. You're reaching into the mire of their mess and saying, this is not the life I've intended for you. I want to change your life. If someone recognizes that today, but God, I pray that you would help them to be obedient in this invitation to come as an act showing that they are pursuing you, following you. And Lord, all we want to do is pray for them as we seek to fulfill your work, your mission, and your purpose through your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand as we sing this hymn of invitation. Again, if you're here this morning and you need to make a decision, this altar is open for those who need to come to Jesus.